Hello, my good people. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen again. So today's podcast is about an osteo. I was going to say osteopath, but I can't, I can't it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So I'm saying osteo, right? Today's podcast is about an osteo. And I know that's probably not what you thought I was going to say, but just bear with me. I was at a friend's house not too long ago and we were having a few drinks. And about halfway through, I realized that we were all complaining about our backs. And I thought, you know what? I'm pretty sure... That, that's a problem that loads of people have. We might not mention it, but I know half of us, half of the population must go through a time when they've got back pain. And of that half, I was the only person who had found a solution. Now, my solution is my osteo, who goes by the name of Gary Trainer. Not only is Gary a good osteo, he's also a very, very good storyteller. So I thought, you know what? Uh, I'll have a chat with the man himself. See if you guys can get some knowledge from this episode. Hope this helps someone out there. And uh, yeah, check out his client list as well. Brilliant. Let's go. The All right. So Gary, uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I was thinking back to when I first came across the great Gary Trainer. I was coming down from Manchester. And I thought I was still 18. Uh, I wasn't. I was, I, was, I was considerably older. And I decided to climb from the back of my car to the front because I was trying to play the wingman. There were two guys in my car driving me back, my tour manager. Well, my friends were my tour managers as well. So we were driving back together from a show. Yeah. And I decided to climb from the back of the car to the front. And as I did, I heard a little pop. Right. And I thought, this is, this is nothing. Oh, I'll be fine. I went home. Not not much pain. Then I woke up in the morning and I couldn't move. I had to call my my my, my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife, but yeah, my girlfriend at the time. And she came down and used her key to come in to help me get out of the bed. It was that bad. So uh, I you know I spoke to my manager at the time and they sent me to a number of different people. And it took about a month or so for the doctors to diagnose me with a slip disc. They said it doesn't go, but you just need to take care of it. And so on and so forth. So I went through another week of pain, probably another two weeks of pain, and a lot of referrals to different, um, uh, uh, you know, people who would manipulate me and try and get me into the right into the right um, shape. Mm-hmm. It wasn't working basically. And eventually, my my manager at the time, Harry McGee, he said to me, "Do you know what? There's a guy I know. I've used him years ago. His name's Gary Trainer. Just go and see him." And that's how I got your your details. So I didn't know what to expect. And you said, give it three goes. But after my first go, I was feeling, wow, I feel I feel noticeably different. And within the three sessions that we had, I was right as rain. So I don't know if you've got magic hands or you just know a lot, but I keep on saying this to people. Everybody needs a Gary Trainer in their life, you know? So I, I'm forever preaching from the gospel of the trainer. Thank you. And um, <laughs> I try and tell as many people about you as possible. So this is like adding to that. Thank you. Right? Yeah. So um, where do we begin? So how did you then get into doing what it is that you do? It's going back a few years now. Uh, I think it stemmed from having a rugby injury. Rugby? You used to play rugby? Rugby, yeah. I was brought up in New Zealand. Uh, You know, I've been to New Zealand once, right? Uh, No, uh, twice, actually. On promo back in the day. And I remember coming to the airport, coming out of the airport for the first time, right? Very green place. And... Looking out, and there were some enormous people, like solid, strong-looking. Yeah. This guy was sitting in a in a um, in a like a small van. He made it look like it was a mini. His hat, his arm that was hanging out was 
solid, just trunk. I was thinking, I can see why these people have been so successful. Oh, because genetically, made don't them. mess around. Don't mess yeah. around with yeah. them. Well, I got caught between two of them. Oh, no. Two big burly props. One was running one way, run, one was running the other way. And I was caught in the middle. What were you doing in the middle? In the middle? You had the ball? You were, you were... I had the ball. Oh, no. And it's what they called a hospital pass. Uh, where <laughs> they, uh, you know them, and they say there's even a name for it, where you throw the ball to somebody as they're about to get absolutely you know, <laughs> thrown to the ground. And that's what happened to me. And the, next the thing hospital I, pass. It's called a hospital pass. Oh, so you know, once you, you receive that, if you, you go, you, oh, you, no, it's me. People, people were looking at the pass going, that's a hospital pass for sure. And guess what? I ended up in hospital because of it. Oh, no. So what, what injuries did you have? Um, I really severely damaged my discs, my lower two discs in my back. Oh, that's not good. Uh, and then some years later, I've had surgery on both of them. Uh, but at the time, they said I was the luckiest guy in the ward because I was the only one that still had feeling in his legs. Everybody else in the spinal unit were either quadriplegic or paraplegic. From those injuries? from well, I don't know whether they were rugby injuries okay. or road traffic injuries as well. Yeah. But they said that I was lucky because I still had some feeling, and my feeling would come and go. Wow. So I couldn't stand up and take my own weight. And then they put me on very high dosages of anti-inflammatories. Now, these have a side effect of eroding the stomach lining and causing stomach ulcers. Now, they didn't tell me about that, and I'm dropping these painkillers like there was no tomorrow, and I got a stomach ulcer. Oh, and no. it was like adding insult to injury. Yeah. I had my injury, still had my bad back. Now I had a bad back, a stomach ulcer, and I couldn't take medication. Wow. So I was forced to look for other ways of relieving pain. And I tried quite a few things, but it was when I tried acupuncture. Acupuncture is, you know, it's got a 5,000-year track record. 5,000 years? 5,000 years is track record. Do you know... Who started it? Or well, the Chinese have got really okay. good record of you know there's the major schools. So there's there's different schools of thought in Chinese medicine. Yeah, and they've they've recorded it. Wow. Um, but if you take it right, 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 right back, acupuncture is basically sticking a needle where it hurts. A lot of other theories have developed along the time, but essentially, when I do a treatment, I'm trying to find where it hurts. And then I stick a needle in it. Now, when you stick a needle into the body, the body perceives that something foreign has just embedded itself into it. The defense system of the body at that point sends a rush of blood to the area, and then that relaxes the muscle. If you look at the principle of physical therapy, it's to improve the blood supply to the affected area. So heat lamps, ultrasound, stretching, massaging, mobilizing, it's all doing the same stuff. But so does acupuncture. I mean, you think, if you ever knock yourself, instinctive, without thinking about it once, automatic reaction is you start rubbing, rubbing it. Yeah. Now, if you were to refine that, you're probably trying to find out where it hurts the most. Okay. That's an instinctive, natural thing we do if we ever knock ourselves. Yeah. That's what we do in treatment. Exactly the same thing. I feel around for where it's the tightest and the most painful. The other points I treat. And I just stick a needle in it, it draws blood to the area, it relaxes the muscle. And you see, you see, you make it sound so simple. It is, uh, however, <laughs> if, if it was that simple, then like 
I've seen loads of people, loads. But no two people really have the same effect on someone or follow the same kind of like path. Yeah. So um, I mean, I said, I think acupuncture is amazing. Yeah. Anything to last 5,000 years, you've got to question it. It's got, yeah. yeah. Something's going on there. Yeah. But I found it didn't really ask enough questions of why is the pain there in the first place. It was brilliant to have a technique that got rid of pain. Yeah. But for me, I wanted to know why is that person in pain in the first place? So then I studied osteopathy. And osteopathy tries to ascertain, is this a muscle, a ligament, a tendon, a bone, a disc? It tries to establish what structure is causing the pain because different structures have different sort of symptom patterns. Okay. Like, for example, a muscle. A muscle does not like to rest, and it gets better as you move it. Isn't that like one of the most, um, it's, it's almost like an oxymoron. This is so, it sounds counterproductive. Like if you go to the gym, you go to walk up the stairs the next day. Yeah, ah, yeah. that was a good session. But like you said, the more you move, the more the area feels better. I, f- I find yeah. that. Whereas a weird. nerve yeah. is exactly the opposite to that. A nerve loves rest. It's better first thing in the morning. As the day progresses, it gets worse and worse. If you, if it was a, a disc, if you compress it, you should be able to reproduce the pain. So when you examine somebody, you're, you're, you're squashing them, you're stretching them, you're doing all sorts of things, trying to reproduce the pain that will prove to you what structures are involved in the pain. Oh. Now, if you just do one treatment, yeah, like if I was just an acupuncturist, I'd be trying to fit acupuncture to everything that I, I work with. Whereas when you do acupuncture, osteopathy, and massage, you can sort of sit back a little bit and you can work out, hmm, that sounds like it's a little bit more muscle or a little bit more nerve. So that means I think I'll use acupuncture more though than give them a big crack. Okay. So I think the important thing is to be able to establish a positive diagnosis. When you know what you're working with, then you know what you can do with it. Okay. Um, muscle spasm is a very interesting mechanism when the body locks up. Yeah. That's the body trying to look after itself. See, I think that happens to me more so. Yeah. I'll just, I'll, I'll feel something going and then for the next four days, I'm like half leaning to the right in yeah. pain. So yeah. what the body has an amazing ability to do, it can keep you moving, not as efficiently as you would be moving normally. Like when a person limps, uh, they, they're, still man- they're still able to make movement, but yeah. it's just not, a, not efficient as it w- is normally. Much like if you cut yourself and you get a scab, the, the scab won't fall off until the underlying skin is ready to be exposed to the environment again. So the same way, the body has... I've always thought, you know, when I was a kid, I've always thought, this is magic. Like, yeah. <laughs> when you'd get, you know, and when you're younger, like the scab would come really quickly and really hard. Yeah. So, you know, two days in, it's fully covered yeah. and then it removes and you've just got your skin like... I know. There are loads and loads and loads of mechanisms going on just keeping us going. Yeah. When you think how many things can go wrong with the human body, it is a miracle that we have a good day. <laughs> there, I mean, really, the potential is it's just sitting there waiting. Um, there was a great book called The Natural Healing Process, and this guy explained and looked at a whole lot of different conditions that got better just in time. The natural healing process. Time is the best healer there is. And a lot of the time, I mean, people say, was it 
what you did to me that fixed me, or was it the passage of time? Yeah, yeah. And I think the passage of time's got a lot to you know. So it, it knows when to lock up. It yeah. knows when to release. Yeah. It knows when you're 50% better and it allows you to do a little bit more movement than what you were able to. So this guy, I remember one example in this book, he twisted his ankle. They did no treatment, but they did lots of investigations. So they were scanning, they were taking bloods, they were looking at mobility, they were looking at weight bearing, looking at all these different aspects. And it just, you could see the pattern of things getting better all by themselves. Wow. And when you understand that, I mean, there's a thing called mechanical back pain. And this is sort of where you make a move, a move you've made a billion times, and you'll probably make a billion times again. But on this one occasion, you might twist as you make the move. Messes up everything. It just goes. Yeah, completely. And it's usually related to a movement. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you like when you had that little pop when you were jumping over the car. Yeah. it It can be something as innocent as just a sound. And then what happens, the inflammatory process then kicks in. Yeah. And over a period of time, sometimes 24 hours, yes, it gets inflamed and then the inflammation starts to affect the surrounding structures. And Exactly. I woke up the, the following goes. morning and it was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I and, that, and, that, and that was your body saying, I ain't. I don't want any movement. Yeah. And you I'm, know, I'm, saying, not, I'm not even asking you, I'm just telling I'm you. I'm telling you, yeah. I'm, I'm locking up and that's just how it is and you're just going to adapt. Yeah, I was saying, you know, I said at the beginning, you've, you've dropped some gems over the time. I'll never forget, uh, I was, uh, you, you treated me once and you said to me, you know what pain is? And I was like, where's he going with this? And you said, you know, pain is your body telling you, don't do this because I'm trying to fix something. Yeah. So when you're feeling, you know, if you do that and your your, your knee hurts, don't do it. Because it's your body saying, I need you to limit your range of movement right now yeah. while I sort out what I need to sort out. But I guess because we're so impatient in, you know, where the now, well, not necessarily my generation, but kind of the now generation, we want a response to our text message now. We want a response to our email now. We want everything now, now. Yeah, yeah. We don't really give our bodies the time no. to, it's time it deserves yeah. to and, fix, and, sort itself. And in time, it will probably sort itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this guy also who wrote the book, he then looked at all the physical therapy techniques there are and he put them to a category from 1 to 10. So if someone was 10 out of 10 in pain and you could hardly touch them and they can hardly move, that's the body saying, leave me alone. (laughs) Just leave me alone for now. When the pain subsides a wee bit, it's saying you can step in a little bit. When the pain subsides a lot more, it means you can put a lot more into it it's like we're our own um we're our own doctors the body's its own doctor yeah you know i said this to someone before because back in the day i wanted to do uh, i studied biology chemistry and physics and i wanted to be oh, really? a, a pharmacist that's what i wanted to be okay uh, well i wanted to be a doctor but later on i was like okay maybe doctor's a bit much I'll, I'll try and be a pharmacist and um i had a place to do pharmacy but one thing that always used to amaze me with biology as doctors surgeons uh, uh people who manipulate the body they're not actually doing the magic you know when you think of a surgeon when i used to think of a surgeon it's like oh they're saving someone's life they're doing this they are in that they've learned how to bring say a broken bone closer to that it's it's the part where it needs to be yeah but they don't actually fuse the bones together no all they do is bring it close and the body does the whole the whole all of the work the body knows what to do what cells should do what an eye cell isn't going to be produced in your knee your knee is going to produce a knee cell and your eye is going to produce an eyes i've always thought like how do these things work together like so complex work together and Mm. 
and know what's what. Yeah. So really, all you're doing is assisting the body in doing what it thinks it well, should do. Exactly. Or in a lot of cases, knows it should do. Yeah. You know, so... Um, so they reckon the, yeah. the, the art of a practitioner is to work out where is the person at as far as getting better all by themselves. And they okay. might come in, you might ask them questions, you might put them through some ranges of movement, and you can go, do you know what? This person's 50% better. They're not 10 out of 10 in pain because they, they walked in here. People 10 out of 10 years usually are carried in there. Okay. So when someone can walk in there and they sort of, you know, you sort of think, like, this, this, this is getting better already. Then we look at the chart of physical therapy techniques and go, okay, for someone who's halfway better, this technique, this technique, and this technique is suited for a person who's at that stage of healing. And so you just find if someone's five, you find some techniques of five to move them down to four. And that's how it works. And then it happens anyhow. It happens. <laughs> you know, and us practitioners, you know, yeah. we, we take all the credit we take, for yeah, it. We take the glory. Yeah, man, I'm amazing. I did that. Yep, I did yeah, that. Yeah. I did that. <laughs> Someone said to me, yeah, are you sure it wasn't the passage of time? And when they said that, it was like, oops. My God. <laughs> you know what's going on, yeah, don't, don't you? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, uh, you've obviously treated loads of people. Come on, let's uh, let's get the glory list. Um, uh, apart from obviously myself, oh. you know, uh, who, who else have you treated that you can that you can speak of? Well, I did ask once. I um, I did the faith tour. George, faith, George, George Michael, George Michael, R.I.P. The legend, nineteen eighty-eight, and I remember coming back from the tour, and I said to George, George, is it okay if I mention that I did the tour? He said to me, yeah, Gary, ask me, answer me one question. I said, yeah, what? He said, did you do the tour? I said, yes. He says, well, what are you asking me for then? <laughs> 1988, I think, was the first tour. I think the first job I ever got flown to, I was treating the keyboard player of Sade's band. Nice. And uh, he told me that, oh, I know someone who would like what you do. And the next thing I get a phone call saying, oh, Sade would like a treatment. Chardin. I was like, oh, really? Okay. I like Shardell. I've met yeah. her once or twice. She's where a very are, nice Where lady. are you? She said, would you want to come over or what? He says, we're not in the country. Oh, so what? When you get back? No, we'd like to fly you out to Paris to give her a treatment. <laughs> and I remember I was living on a council estate and I remember looking out the window seeing this limousine coming up the road to pick me up, <laughs> to take me to the airport. I got the photo. <laughs> and I thought, oh my god, this is different from what I'm used to back this in New Zealand. Right. Yeah. So hold on. So you went from you went from. Um, we'll come back to the list, but you went from rugby. Were you trying to be a rugby player, or were you? You know, when you were playing rugby, was it that was what you were trying to do, or that I was know, just a site like a, in New Zealand a weekend you, thing? You have to play rugby. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, a, you just have to. It's a birth. And I wasn't that good at it, to be honest with you. Okay. All I wanted to do was become a professional surfer. Surfer, okay, yeah, that, all right. That was my my sole intention in life. That fits your character, though. I didn't know what an accountant was. I didn't know what a lawyer was. I didn't know any of these things because it wasn't in my remit. I just wanted to be a professional surfer. <laughs> and that's all I did was worry about the surf. I didn't even know that was a thing, like professional surfing. I thought oh, yeah. people surf, but like professionally, so earn a living, do this, yeah, this is your job. Now, nowadays, you learn a, earn a very good living. Yeah, but- I mean, when yeah. I was young- professional surfing only just really got started. So it was more of a hobby. It was a hobby. Right. Yeah, but it took up all my time. <laughs> and it's all I wanted to do. <laughs> the good life. The, the beach life was just fantastic. So <laughs> Okay. So so then after the injury, that 
probably limited the surfing well, a bit. I could surf. Oh, you could all oh. of a sudden it was like there's the pain. I, uh, so there's the pain. The actual what we call the primary pain, yeah. you know, where you've torn something or something's ruptured. Then there's what we call secondary pain, and this is the pain that maybe if three or four weeks into it, this little thought comes wafting across, going, "Oh, I wonder if this never goes away," or "Gee whiz, I wonder if I can pick up my kids anymore," oh, or man. "Oh, is this going to you know upset me? I may never go surfing." And then this other pain is created in your mind. And that one's a harder pain to treat than yeah. the physical pain. Yeah, I think the secondary pain that you spoke of, it's um, it's the kind of pain that's the kind of pain that leads to depression. So. And do you know what, mate? You cannot, you can't help it. If you've had it for more than a few weeks, you cannot help. I've met the strongest, most determined go-getters, humble to brought to their knees in weeks. You know, because and, and it's just not their style. Yeah. But I think it's the light at the end of the tunnel thing. I've realized that about my character. It's like if I have a goal, I'm fine. Mm. You can you can throw you can put me through anything. I am extremely resilient. Yeah. yeah. As long as I know it could be fifteen years down the line. As long as I know, do you know what though? There's a slight light and I'm heading in that in that direction. Fine. I'll mm. suffer. Mm. When you take hope away from someone, yeah. And and with no Oh. It's kind of like, see, the initial stages of this whole COVID thing, right? Where people are losing their livelihood. The problem is you don't know when it's ending. The so fear of the unknown. Yeah, that becomes hard. So like you're saying, with the pain, when that happened, you must have felt like, well, I don't know how much better I'm going to be. Will I be 100%? When, when be? pain is short term yeah, and it's just around there for a little while and you can feel it getting better and it's almost of no consequence. It'll go at some point. Yeah. When it doesn't go uh, and all of a sudden, rather than pain just being something else that's happening in your life along with everything else, all of a sudden your life starts to revolve around it. As soon as your life starts to revolve around your pain, that's when secondary thoughts come along because it becomes the pivot point. Rather than just an unfortunate circumstance that's going on amongst everything else, it's the pivot point of your yeah. life. And everything revolves around it, everything you do. And then there's a frustration, you know, of not being able to do what you usually do. And what you know you can do, what and you're yeah, capable of. Yeah, and you ah. can't do it. You, you didn't go to the, to the beach in that, in that period, did you? Just <laughs> sitting there and seeing people surfing, you remember, oh. Man, it was. It <laughs> you was, can't do that. It was horrible. Oh, it man. really was. Um, yeah. Anyway, so back to the list. So the list you said, um, uh, George, George, on the tour, which was got Sade. Yeah, obviously I, I, as well. I heard on the radio today that uh, Coldplay's album, the first yeah. album, came out twenty years ago today. I think it was twenty years. Twenty years. Well, ago I like today. Coldplay. I do like well, them. I, I remember uh, when they first started. Yeah, and um, I actually had Chris Wonder. He said. It's very easy to write songs when lying here having treatment. <laughs> I just said, which one? Which, which one did I help you with? And can I just have 1%, please? 1% would be fine. I never found out. Um, so I worked with them a lot. Um, <laughs> which I worked one? with Gwyneth, his wife. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, she was a very good source of business. I treated her when she did her first film in the UK called Emma. It was before Sliding Doors. This was where she became famous yeah, with Sliding yeah. Doors, but it was before that. Emma, okay. Yeah. And then she introduced me to Brad Pitt. Nice. And, and then Ben Affleck. Oh, wow. Uh, Ex-boyfriends of hers. <laughs> and then Chris Martin. <laughs> so, you know, she's been a, an excellent source. They're now living in America and they've separated, but... Yeah. Um, wow. Then I've worked... 
I've done six world tours with Depeche Mode. Six world tours with Depeche Mode? Yeah. Wow, you've gone across the... You've lived like four lives. I think I've... Yeah, I've lost a few, but... Um, <laughs> I, I treated them the first time, got to know the manager, and then the next world tour that came about, they sat me down and they said, hey, look, the guys are working really hard around this period. Yeah. Oh, look, they've got four or five days off there. Why don't we get you to come out for those days? Nice. So it worked out that probably every two, two and a half weeks, they'd fly me out. Uh, so much for the Sade experience. Uh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> every just, two weeks, it's, it's just, just a normality now, yeah, right? It's yeah. just fantastic. And I love Depeche Mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, proper, me, that's proper. You know, I don't have many fa- I'm not a fan of many, but yeah. Depeche Mode. That's proper. That's proper. They, they are. And I've got, I've got four discs that they've given me over the years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, for my fiftieth birthday, they all got together and. Well, if you've done six, uh, uh, six tours with them, I mean, yes, uh, your, your your family, yeah, they, they are really truly. And Dave Gayan, I mean, I got all the time in the world for him. He's been you know, great front man, one awesome. of the best, and he's a cross between you know, McCutcheons and in excess. And yeah. I thought you know Dave's very much like them. They got a phenomenal songwriter, Martin Gore, mm-hmm. uh, Arsenal supporter. Dare I say it? Um, oh no! <laughs> don't, don't say that. Um, and he, yeah, he just everything he touches is just fantastic. Proper, yeah. So I did. You know, I started six world tours with them. I was retained with the Royal Shakespeare Company for twelve or fifteen years. I had a retainer yeah. with McCartney. Oh no! Whoa! For probably twelve years, I used to go down to their farm. Twelve years every Friday. That's why he's still young. Yeah, I reckon so. <laughs> uh, twelve years I did that for mainly Linda. But the, the contract was if I went down there, if there was one person to treat yeah, or 10 people to treat, you treat them. it was the same price. Okay. So if I get, got down there one day and there was just one person, I could pack up, go home and get a full day's pay. You know, and there were times where I was treating other people that yeah. were down. In fact- they, was, they invite you down anytime they're having a party and yeah, inviting the neighbours. Yeah, oh, this is 27 uh, people every time I come down. Well, uh, the, 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 the one day that I will never forget, yeah. and I probably, if I look back at all my experiences I've had yeah. in the music industry, was I went down and I treated Linda, and there was no one else. I was looking around. There was no one else. I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm down here for just one hour. I'm home for full pay. And uh, I was packing the table up. And Linda says, oh, Gary, um, Paul's asked, would you go over to the studio, please? And I was like, and you're oh, like, oh, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> just about to go home. You know? Okay, I, I have to. So I drove over to the studio. And I walked into the front door, to the control room. And sitting in front of me was Paul McCartney. And sitting next to him was Ringo Starr. Nice. And sitting next to him was George Harrison. Nice. And then there was me. And there was just the four of us, man. The fab four. I <laughs> just thought, four. I've arrived. I've arrived. <laughs> and so we should have tried to lay a vocal down or something. Yeah. What the, the vocal? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. They found a John Lennon vocal called "Free as a Bird." There's lots of documentaries on TV about it, and it was the one and only day that the three remaining members of the Beatles got together, and. They rec- they recorded uh, all the instruments to, to the vocal. As nice. I said, it's called Free as a Bird. And from that day onwards, I started treating Ringo and his family okay. regularly. You're lucky you went to the studio that yeah, day. Yeah, and that then I, I also started treating George Harrison regularly from that day onwards as Sweet. well. And that went on for years and years. Um, that's the that's the story of a lot of things in mm. in music. You know, a lot of things are coincidental sometimes. Mm. You know, you mm. do something and then. 
if you take your pride out of it and your ego out of it and just think, do you know, what, I'll just do, okay, what's the next thing? Let me get on with it. It leads yeah, on to other things. So I, d- I didn't go in this, into this industry looking to treat people like that. Yeah. I was just working in an industry where there's lots of people who are like that. Yeah, yeah. But I, didn't, I wasn't pursuing them. There's a lot of big names you've just uh, said. So what was your first, like, how did you get into that bit? Or was it just recommendations and you ended up? Yeah, no, uh, there, uh, there was a or? band called Reflex. Okay. It was around the same time as um, Duran Duran. Because it was around that time, and they did a song called The Reflex. Right. And they recorded this, their first album, uh, this band Reflex recorded their first album uh, in Primrose Hill in North London. And I used to go into the studio and I was treating that band at the time. That's how it all started. Right. Uh, then I where, where at that point? Where were you? Because you started in New Prim- Zealand. So. Primrose Hill. In, okay. In, in, when did you leave to come over here then? Um, it was, you got injured out there? 30, yes, got injured out there. I came to England for a holiday. All right, you're definitely a surfer. You're definitely yeah. a free spirit. Yeah. Came on a holiday, thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be here. I'm, <laughs> let's, 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 I'm gonna plant my roots here. This is it, you know. Yeah. Well, they're not going to treat me though. They're not acupuncture. Okay. And it blew my mind. You had it, or you no, studied I had it. it? I had it here. You had it and thought, ooh, uh, yeah. this is good. This is good. The guy that gave treated me, you know, he was a. He would have never thought he was a healer. You know, he smoked a pipe, he drank beer, he was a big <laughs> fat guy, you know. Is it? All right. But he could just get rid of pain. And he showed me what he was doing and I just thought, wow. And he showed me in a very simple way. I say there's lots of theories, there's lots of concepts and ideas about how it all goes. And the more people you ask, the more opinions you're going to get. So it's best not to ask. Okay. You know? So where did you study osteopathy? Here in London. Okay. Yeah, and acupuncture here in London. Oh, so everything was here. So yeah, yeah. how long between you getting injured and you coming here then? Uh, I was 17 when I had the rugby injury and I was probably probably three or four years. And by then you were fine? Oh, no, man, I was carrying pain like you can't oh. And And what happened was, you know, I was discharged from hospital, but on these high dosages of medication, they did say to me that I have damaged my back and it will give you trouble for the rest of your life. Oh, and it still has? Uh, I manage it. I'm now 64. I still surf. Never 64. 46. <laughs> You're not 64. Uh, 64. Still surfing. Um, I shouldn't, probably. Still surfing, yeah? Yeah. Although, you know, for those who don't know, I'm sitting in a, in the most picturesque abode with Gary, surrounded by various monuments. Uh, there's the, where We're going to talk about that stuff afterwards. But yeah, it's just a beautiful sunny day. We're in this uh, lovely office. And, and on the way down here, there's a line of surfboards. Only eight. Boards. Only eight. <laughs> only eight, exactly, right? Um, so, yeah, just so, so, so you know that. But So you still surf, you said? I still surf, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's not too bad then? No. Yeah. But I did have spinal surgery twice. Ooh. I know. So I know what it's like, you know, to go as far down this road as you can when, you, when you're lying on an operating table and the surgeon says before the operation, you do realise that if this goes wrong, you know, things that happen when you're excited oh. won't, won't, won't work anymore. That. And I'm going, man, am I really going to risk that for this? <laughs> I spoke to, there's a friend of mine, he's a, he's a solicitor. He's got bad back pain. I said, told him, look, you need to go and see Gary. You need to see Gary. So he's probably going to call you at some point. And he said to me, yeah, do you know what? It's so bad. I've, I've seen everyone. I said, you haven't seen Gary, though. You need to go and see Gary. He said, yeah, but, you know, it's so bad. They were even advising me to do an operation on my back. But when the doctor told me that, I wouldn't be able to get it up anymore then I, I kind of said you know what, I'll just bear the pain it's fine yeah, I just exactly. 
<laughs> but you went through it twice. Yeah, man, my pain was bad. I could take five steps and then tears would just roll around my face. Oh, my days. No, that's, so, I've, I've never felt that. That's uh, Oh, man. And my life was ruined. Yeah. I could do nothing. I it's funny, no- though, how you can go from something that is you know changes your life in such a dramatic way mm. and then use it oh, to man. become your actual lifestyle in, in, and your, in your stress, income and everything. In stress management, they say you have to turn adversity to your advantage. You've definitely done that. No, man. I, I know back pain inside out, upside down and from every which way because I've been there and done it. When I went to college and they started describing back pain, I was like, yep. Yep, I know that. Yep, yep, yep. All right, yep, yep. I didn't learn tick, it. Tick, tick, tick. Yeah, tick, 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 tick. God, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'd never studied it. I'd lived it. When people come into me and they start describing what they've got, it's like, yep, mate, I know exactly what that is. I know what we can do with it. Or, mate, this is beyond me. This is, you know, what you've got requires that. Now, for me, I've always prided myself on getting a person to the right person. And I don't want to treat people because I've got a big treatment ego. It needs to be satisfied. I I need to get results on people. And if something's not right, I want to be the first person to say, mate, if you're barking up the wrong tree with me, you should be seeing this person. I've even driven people from my clinic up to a hospital to see a surgeon. And yet I find that you know, with a combination of acupuncture, massage and osteopathy together, you can treat a lot of pain. Anything that comes from the musculoskeletal or nervous systems, you've got a really good technique to get in there amongst it. And, you know, good movement, efficient, pain-free movement means that the muscular, the skeletal, and the nervous system are working in harmony. And if one of those systems isn't working properly, then it breaks down movement and you become inefficient, um, racked with pain. Yeah. Quickly back to this before I go to some mm. to, to, to another thing. So uh, Depeche Mode, Reflex, which is early on. Uh, yeah, Baron Reflex. Yeah. Uh, I see up there there's some nice uh, football boots you've got up there. Yes, that yeah. was from a chap called Jay Bothroyd. Yeah, Jay Bothroyd. Those boots were the boots that he wore on his one and only English debut nice. at Wembley. I can see on the right there's all these charts. with the. To me, it just looks like skeletons with with red and blue lines and numbers and dots. What is that exactly? I, I no, presume that, you use it to, to yeah, that's study? Yeah, that's a chart of all of the acupuncture points on the body, of which okay. there's thousands. So was that created uh, 5,000 years ago as well? Yeah. They, uh, the Chinese actually never classified a nervous system. Uh, they had a thing called a meridian system. Meridian. They said it was an electrical system, a communication system. Sounds a bit like a nervous system. Yeah. But there were two neurologists who painstakingly dissected every acupuncture point on the body, and they recorded what nerve and what blood supply passes underneath that point. And then they found that 80% of acupuncture points were on nerve junctions, nerve pathways, or nerve endings. So basically, the, the, the Chinese had mapped out the nervous system. They had mapped out the nervous system, but they called it a meridian system, and they and there was a whole lot of theory that went with that. Yeah. Do you know how they were mapped out? Because for it to be so exact, then maybe they were using the same think, principles, but they just called it something different. I think to start off with, they just observed where it hurt, and then they found that there were other parts of the body along that same that line became hurt at the same time. So when a person trapped a nerve in their back and they had pain in their leg. It was like, how, how come the problem's in the back, but the pain's in the leg? But the nerve that goes down your leg comes from your back. 
So then you get what we call referred pain. So pain isn't just where the problem is. Sometimes if nerves are involved, it refers all the way down the leg. And okay. that's what we call nowadays sciatica. And yes, they, yes, sciatica. And, and then they very found painful. there was a point just below the knee that would become tender if you had appendicitis. Below you your know, knee? Just below your knee. If you've got appendicitis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, a point on your ankle if you've got hemorrhoids, and then there's points on your arm if you've got a heart. You know, when people get heart attacks and they get yes. pain down their arms, that's, you know, that's the nerve, you know, that's the same stuff going on. We are so, so complex. Oh, mate, I mean, I, I marvel at the human body every day. So obviously you're, you're well studied. You didn't say the name of the guy. You mentioned a guy earlier who... who gave me my first treatments. Yeah, and also taught you a bit about acupuncture. Yeah, his name the, was Peter Gilhead. Peter Gilhead. Yeah. Did he um, follow the same path in that? Did he... Was he an osteopath he, he, as well? He was, or, was an osteopath and acupuncture as well. Okay, yeah. all right. And he taught you. See, and, and I was his last patient. You see what I mean? This is like mm. Mr. Miyagi or something. This is mm. like... Mm. You can study stuff, but, you know, if you want the recipe, sometimes you've got to go to grandma. Yeah, who just yeah. shows you, yeah, but you do it like this. She and doesn't this, measure this anything. Guy, he had no ears and graces. He wasn't trying to be Mr. Healer. He wasn't trying to, you know, bring in this new form of treatment. He could just do it and it worked. And he was just happy with watching it work. So yeah. really, you need to find your 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 apprentice, yeah. <laughs> your young Jedi who's going to come up and <laughs> you can pass on your casual way of, of casual but fully knowledgeable way of, of you know, of, of treatment. Yeah, well, I've, I've, my three boys have shown no, intre no interest no. In at all. I think I've, I've put them Typical. all. Typical. Yeah. Do you know what you should do? Make them play rugby. Yeah. And then they'll be like, ah, I've, I've hurt my back. And they'll be like, now you want to. But it was funny, this chap, Peter Gilhead, uh, I was his last patient. And I remember going to his Oh, hold on, hold on. Well, last because, this is, because he retired? Not because. Uh, no, he died. Oh. I, I, I went and had a treatment with him that morning. I went back to my clinic. I was sitting in my clinic that afternoon and the certificate that he gave me when he taught me acupuncture fell off my wall and smashed on the floor. Oh. And within five minutes, I had a phone call from his wife saying, Peter just died. I, when I went there that morning, I said, Peter, are you all right? He says, no. He says, I feel really strange. I feel very odd. And he must have known that something wasn't quite right. He felt odd. He felt odd, and then he died a few hours afterwards. Oh man, that's you, uh, that's a bit of a sad yeah, story. Yeah, it was a sad story, but you know, it just felt like you know. But he passed on the secret before he left. So I, I really, I've got to thank Peter. Yeah, Peter, if you're here in the Peter room, in the sky, <laughs> yeah, in the room, thank you. You you passed on some great knowledge. After all, that's all we've got, right? So uh, yeah, that's, that's well. What I loved about him was he what to say no ears and graces. I'll give it a go. And if it works, great. Yeah. And if it doesn't, we gave it a go. Yeah. You know, the only thing there is to lose is your pain. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that can happen. Yeah. Uh, All right. So at the point at, when you started doing your your work in osteopathy and um, acupuncture, were you working in someone else's clinic? Yeah. I'm trying to get to the point. And how where when did the Gary Trainer Clinic come to life? When yeah, did that happen? I, I did my acupuncture training in Woking in Surrey. Okay, uh, and I was living in North London, so um, I just remember when I finished my training, I didn't have to drive down to South London all the time. Then I had a friend who was an actor. The, the, my actual break into the entertainment industry was was acting, not music. And acting. I knew, it was okay. it, I knew an actor who was working for the Royal Shakespeare Company, and 
he arranged for me to come and meet the company manager. He thought that would be a good contact for me. So I came and met the company manager, went through what I did. He said, well, if we have need, we'll give you a call. I heard nothing for months. And then there was a production of Richard III at the Barbican, Royal Shakespeare Company. It was an actor called Anthony Shear, who's now known as Sir Anthony Shear. And he, that year, won the Olivia Award for Best Actor. And, in fact, it was funny, he... Played, after playing Richard III, he played, uh, there was a film, a uh, play called Torch Song Trilogy. Torch Song Trilogy. Tor- Torch Song Trilogy yeah. about this very camp guy. And I remember when he got his award, he says, I think I'm the first actor to play both a king and a queen in the same season. <laughs> <laughs> and I've worked with Anthony probably on every show he's done since then, which is probably 35 years ago. Oh, wow. And yes. I've just... Been there around helping if I can. I think that that's that's He's a very that's, physical actor. Oh, okay, you know, throws see. himself into his parts and yeah. often injures himself. That's a I think testimony to 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 being good. You know, word of mouth is always a, a proof that something that you're doing is working. Yeah, you know, you should not blow your own trumpet. Yeah, exactly. That's someone else's job. The hard sale is yeah. is always a bad thing. Yeah, no, don't don't do it. It's not not a good one. So that's how the the, the clinic. Yeah, I got. That's Came how I got life. involved with the arts. With the arts, yeah. Um, and then every week I was going there, I was seeing more and more people. And then I thought to myself, if this was my business and I saw people going more and more often and this was like this expense was sort of like a little bit out of control, I'd knock it on the head. So before it got knocked on the head, I went to the company manager, who was Trevor Nunn back in the day. And I said, Trevor, look, this is great. I, I love working in the theatre. I think the, 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 what I do can really help. Um, but I don't want it to get out of control and for you to think, oh, man, this is expense. It's just going up and up and up. Let's knock it on the head. So why don't we set up a retainer? So instead of giving me, you know, 50 quid to come and treat somebody, why don't you give me 25 quid? And if there's no one to treat, I've still got 25 quid. And we just pay, you know, 15, 20 quid for each patient I treat rather than the full fee. Yeah. So you've got some security to know that I'm going to be here on a Friday from, you know, three to seven. Regardless. Yeah. Regardless, I'm going to get something, even if there's no one for me to treat, but I'll get a bit more if there are people for me to treat. And that was around the same time that Les Miserables was, oh, okay. was in rehearsal. Les Miserables was actually a Royal Shakespeare Company production. The first three months of its run, they rehearsed it at the Barbican, and the first three months of the run was at the Barbican as well. And then Cameron McIntosh picked up the show, took it into the West End to the Palace Theatre, and they asked, would I come as you well? You went along. Yeah, nice. so, you know, there was Michael Ball, there was Colm Wilkinson, there was Francis Ruffell. There were, I mean, it's just, when you look at the original cast of Les <laughs> yeah, Miserables. Yeah, yeah, full know, on. Peter Polycarpo. I mean, they've all gone on to do some really great really things. Really good stuff, yeah. Um, and I was working with them, and then there was one theatre in the West End, and then uh, Chess, which was written by the guys from ABBA. Yeah. Um, which Elaine Page was in, who I just saw yesterday, <laughs> this is 35 years on. Oh, wow. Um, and then I saw her playing in The King and I and then all the stuff that she's done in the West End. Yeah. Uh, then the guy who was the lead part in Les Miserables went up for Phantom of the Opera and he got the job. That's a good now, one. Now, interestingly, at the time, he was doing eight shows a week. Eight, okay. Yeah. And this is when I come across Acupuncture for the Voice. 
And this is why I went on. Tour. I've never heard that. Yeah, for the well, voice. The reason I went on tour with George Michael was not to treat his. He did have a back history, but it was more to treat his voice. How do you treat the voice of accurate? You stick needles in the throat. How do no, you no, no, no. Some sometimes near, but usually at a d- distance from. But wherever your stress accumulates, and for performers, often the stress accumulates in their voice. Correct. And often they lose their voice, often because of the whole stress response. I say this, so the quick diversion. I um when uh, when my mother passed, I was in the middle of releasing a single, so you know one of the, we had many conversations. But she said to me, "Do you know what? she's happy going because she knows that you know, I'm the last in the family that I'll be okay. So please just make sure that I give it a hundred percent." So after her passing, I I just threw myself really deeply into the music. I gave a hundred percent to music and. As a result, I didn't quite mourn properly because I was too busy, you know, being on stage, smiling. Da, 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 da. Mm. So I didn't. I don't think I gave myself the, the the right amount of time. So about five years later, when it was no longer even a thing in my mind as such, you know, the the mourning process was more. Okay, my mother's gone. I miss her, but mm. you know, just getting on with work. Um, I'd go into the studio. Songs that I'd been singing every day, you know, okay. on tour all the time with ease. Suddenly. Good. Could, couldn't couldn't sing the verse, let alone any hard part of it. Just, I'm like, what's going on here? Or I'd be singing and the the, the song's all right, but I couldn't get breath. Yeah. And I was like, I went to see about four doctors. In the end, I ended up in Harley Street, saw a doctor there and he said to me, uh, are you going through any stressful stuff? I said, no, nah, no. Nah. He said, what stress have you gone through recently? I said, honestly, nothing. I'm a really easy, easy go, lucky kind of guy. I said, five years ago, my mother passed away, but... You know, I, I guess if I'm honest, I probably didn't mourn the way I thought I would. Um, but, you know, I just got back into it because I just get on with things. I just have to get back to work. It happens. Yeah, yeah. He said, you know, what? I think I think you need to stop. So, again, Harry McGee uh, and, and Richard, they said, oh, uh, take a holiday. Go down to um, uh, Thailand. So I went to Thailand. I was there for 10 days, maybe. But there I was on my own. No phone. They give you a massage every every wow. day. They put yeah, a thing yeah. underneath your door. So every single day you get a Thai massage. Yeah. Fresh food. You're right by the beach. So first two, three days, I was like, oh, my phone, my phone, emails, I'm missing something. After a while you get, because you, you're not allowed to walk around with your phone either. So I just left it in the hotel. There's no reception anyway. So walking around. Then you start really being where you are. Six days in, I cried like I was, like I was, like my mother passed yesterday. Like for three days. But it was weird because yeah. mentally I wasn't there. Yeah, mentally yeah. I was like, what is all these tears about? Continuously. I remember being on the plane coming back to London and uh, uh, you know, I was in I was in a in a good class and <laughs> <laughs> in a nice class. And um, the the stewardess comes over and says, Oh, uh, what would you like to eat? And I was like, beef. <laughs> Start crying tears. I'm like, I had to do the rest of the flight with a blanket over my head. Because oh, mentally I was thinking, what is this? But tears, tears. After that, I got back, could sing everything perfectly. Never happened again. Yeah. So, so you can treat that kind of thing yeah. with acupuncture. As so, well. th- this guy who was the lead in Les Miserables, yeah, a guy called Dave Willits. Okay. Um, I love the way you remember names. I'm terrible with names. Then, wow. then this guy went on and you know, auditioned for Phantom. This was after Michael Crawford, who developed the role, um, and. Then Dave started to lose his voice after five shows. So he, he was still doing Les Mis. He was told he had the job of Phantom, but 
at that point he started to lose his voice oh, after five shows. So nightmare. Of, and the and the management just said, mate, you've got to sort your voice out. Otherwise there'll be no fans above the opera. You're, you're gonna lose this job and you won't get the next one. Oh. So he was telling me about this and I was in there treating him for back pain. And halfway through the treatment he was talking to me and he goes, Oh, he's Gary. He says, Can you hear how deep my voice has gone? I go, Oh yeah, okay. He says, No, seriously, he says my voice only goes this deep when I'm really relaxed. He says, acupuncture has relaxed me and that's shown in my voice. Yeah. And then we got his voice back to eight shows a week. Nice. Then he got he went into played Phantom for a couple of years. Wow. You know, he had a phenomenal career. Brilliant. Um, but it was purely by chance. Yeah. I was treating him for back pain. And that, it relaxed him so relaxed much. That relaxed him that it took the stress out of his voice where it was accumulating. And he was able to sing again. And then I had uh, a backing vocalist called Tessa Niles, who yeah. was one of Eric Clapton's backing oh, vocalists. This is just a, this is a, a name dropping. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean I, to. I asked for the I list. Don't mean to the, be a name the list is endless. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, Clapton used to do a whole month yeah. of concerts at the Albert Hall. Brilliant. And I got a call from Tessa saying Eric's lost his voice and he was only three shows into his 20 dates. And I went down there and I said, look, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And he swore on his life that he was hitting notes he couldn't hit before. And he went on and finished the other 17 shows without yeah. taking a day off. I tell you, it's uh, a nightmare as an artist when you have, I've had, I've had to cancel a show on a tour once. Yeah. And I thought, oh, just be a show, you know, just be Listen, the amount of hassle that causes yeah. to cancel one show. Oh, man. So if you're three or four in and he's saying he's just about to lose his voice. That is a bad uh, a big one. scenario. Yeah. yeah, but acupuncture and massage and that helped that as well. Yes, it did. And you know, then I started studying it a wee bit more. Uh, then I got onto treating an amazing saxophonist called David Sanborn. Nice. And we were doing um, peak flow uh, lung capacity. So he was doing peak flow meter, blowing into it, seeing what lung capacity he had. Then we were using acupuncture, and then doing the peak flow meter again. And we were measuring the increase in his lung volume. Um, and that was around the same time that I got to him through, because they did the soundtrack to Lethal Weapon. Oh, nice. Classic. And right, the, the, Lethal the, Weapon. The Lethal Weapon soundtrack was done by uh, Dave Samward and Eric Clapton. As, okay. Uh, and and, the two, and, okay. and I, was, well, I was working with him when they did that soundtrack. But, um, that's good. That's that's a, a great journey you've had. Yeah. And then that put me on to Nofla. Um and I worked with Dire Straits and then the Notting Hillbillies, which is another <laughs> little band they had. And then when I did the uh, the Faith tour, um, I I mean, so, so many great stories. <laughs> I don't know where to begin. Come on, one more, one more. Come on, uh, come on. Uh, Faith tour. Well, I, I remember the last night. The um, George was a real perfectionist, and he wanted to get six number ones off the Faith album. And, All right. And I remember him having the conversation with his manager at Earl's Court before the tour even started, saying, nice. I want six. And he says, and I want the sixth single to be on the last week of the tour. So whilst we're on tour, we can celebrate, celebrate. Six, six number ones off the album. That's what I'm talking about. And Rob was going, yeah, okay, of course, George, you know, and <laughs> thinking you know, he'll forget about that. So anyhow, we're getting close, three weeks to go to the tour finished. And George turned to Rob and says, mate, the chart doesn't come out. We need to add another date to the tour. <laughs> and there were 180. He wants to add a date 
so that the chart could come out. So, yeah, he, so yeah. he, well, while they were on tour, like yeah. he predicted was going to happen. And so that's what happened. And Brilliant. so there were 180 people on the in the entourage, and 179 of them said, yeah, George, we can stay on another day. Let's do another show. Let's make this dream come true. Brilliant. One guy couldn't do it. Ah. His name was Alan Keyes. I do remember his name. Well. Okay. <laughs> and he had a job that he had to leave the Faith Tour. And the next day, he started with the Pet Shop Boys. And he, oh, man. He, and he was dressing George, and he was dressing the Pet Shop Boys. So they had oh. everybody there to, you know, for, so George could do his last show but they had no one to dress him. <laughs> and I was walking past and I heard the conversation going by and I said, oh, look, mate, I could do that. He said, what? I said, I've seen this show for the last five months. Every night I could dress George with my eyes closed. And they said, would you? I said, of course I would. Of course. I didn't get any extra money for it. Yeah. But at the end of the show, you know, the faith, the, the boots. Yeah. George gave me them. No, yeah, I've got I've got the faith boots. No, upstairs in my I'm inside. I can show you them. Brilliant. And he gave me the boots. That is a story and, and a half. And he just said, you know, this, this is to thank you. That is brilliant for doing this for me tonight. Come and on, that's I great. I still got them upstairs. That so. is boy. Do you know? I have what? Wore, I wore them to a party once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone said, "Mate, they might be worth a bit of money. You should put them away. Yeah, you should probably. Uh, <laughs> that could. They may be able to like buy your house a couple times over. So just keep it to one side, and then when you need them, just say, "Excuse me, uh, these uh, are up for auction," and and uh, retire. Uh, Faith Tour was in 1988, and I worked with all you know all the stuff he did from there on. He became a great friend. He was that's uh, good. Really, and the, the day that he died was just yeah. R.I.P. George. What a voice. What a surreal. loss to the music oh, industry man. and you know to everyone. You though, listen so. to his voice now, and you just see what a yeah what talent. A great he really was. Proper, proper. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, so the Gary Training Clinic it's still in operation. You are the man with the with with the magic hands online. It's GaryTrainer.com, right? Yes, that's right. So yes. if people want to find out more about Gary trainer you can go to garytrainer.com all the information on on his clinic and what he does um uh, is there i'll also link any other social media so twitter instagram anything else like facebook okay. oh, i'll cheers. link that in uh, the description of this uh, th th this podcast but do you know what? it's been absolutely awesome talking to you thank you um, i've enjoyed it as well yeah so moving forward then you mentioned to me once when i came down to your clinic you said the advice that you'd give to most people is try to maintain uh, things at home in your own time. And I know that you are going to set about trying to figure out a way to show people how to manipulate their their own bodies yeah, I before mean, it gets I, back. I'm going to start with massage. What I'm trying to do is to encourage people to take responsibility for their own health and well-being. Yeah. There is a load of things we can do ourselves, but it has to be packaged and presented in a very simple way. If you load people up with too much theory at the front end, they're not interested. Yeah. So you've got to find a way of doing something practical and then build on that. Okay. Um, and it's changing your diet, changing your attitude, changing the way you do. There's so many things we can do for ourselves. Yeah, you were saying, you know, when you, if you, if you start to treat yourself, you can find. Yeah. The massage course I want to teach is I teach you on yourself. So if you've got a sore knee, I would say, I want you to rub around your knee and find the most tender spot for me. You can do it. Yeah. When you first start treating people, they say, ask the person you're treating to tell to put their finger where it hurts the most. And that'll be where the problem is. And that'll is. be where the problem is. Yeah. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time learning about other things, you know, countries, history, da da da, da which is good, mm. but we spend our whole lives in this body. Yeah. And I think probably 
10% of us pass away knowing what we can do fully physically. It so. surprises me how little people know about their own bodies. Yeah. And what an important part of the journey your body is. It can make this journey, you know, hell. Yeah. Or it can make it a joy. Yeah. You know, and being free of pain makes it much easier to have a good time. Most definitely. Well, do you know what, uh, Gary? I've had a good time. Thank You're you. an absolute legend. I love the stories. GaryTrainer.com if you want more information. I'm going to leave all of Gary's info uh, below this podcast. And uh, yeah, if you're ever in London and you need um, some assistance, he's the one to call. All right? Cool. Thanks, mate. I really enjoyed that too. If you know what size George Michael is, uh, email me. And also, if you've got any suggestions for the show or anyone that you'd like me to talk to, feel free. Email me, lamar at thelamarshow.com. All right? Someone will get back to you ASAP. Also, if you've got any interesting questions for me or you're a budding musician, artists, vocalists that need any advice or direction, feel free to email me, lamar at thelamarshow.com. And uh, maybe I'll get some answers on here as well. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes. It helps majorly. And uh, yeah, until next week.